Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I'll be talking to the very dynamic Kim Portheta about how to shift our money mindset, to pay attention to our lives and give intention to our money. It's an important aspect of future-proofing yourself. And of course, Future Proof Yourself is the title of my new book, available in bookstores and from NikkiBush.com. Kim Portheta is the Director and Head of Life Planning at Chartered Wealth Solutions. She's a registered financial life planner, a certified financial planner, an accredited professional coach, a dare-to-lead facilitator, and a new money story mentor coach. In addition, Kim has written a number of books, including Retirement, which is E-A-N-T, Getting More Meaning for Your Money, which was published in 2015, and Midlife Money Makeover, published earlier this year. Kim, it's fabulous to have you on the Win at Work and Life podcast. And I'll start off with saying money, friend, or foe. Aniki, thanks for having me. And the whole goal of everything that I share is to get money to be your friend. Yeah, and so often it is the enemy, isn't it? People are almost practically scared of money. And I wonder sometimes if it's because money is a kind of language all of its own. It's like having a second or a third language, is it? Well, Nikki, before that, I think is there's a lot of times that people don't even realize they have a relationship with it. So that, because they're not aware of it, they, do, they don't understand where it's fitting in in their lives. So they blame it for a lot. So it's, it's kind of, and all it is really is this form of exchange that you exchange what you want for, for, with money and you exchange your time for money. So that's what it is. But people have, because of experiences and because of life, there's all these emotions that are attached to it. So if you talk to anybody about money, it just conjures up a whole lot of emotions. And then when you actually delve into it, it's got nothing to do with the money. It's the emotions that people have felt at different times in their lives. And now they've either blamed money for it or they've said, well, you know, money helped me to be happy. So I, I, I often think it's just because people haven't really thought about how money's fitting into their lives. Mm, so you're saying that money is a trigger a very deep ingrained trigger in all of us. And depending on where we come from and the experiences and the relationship we've developed with money, it will either trigger a friend or foe response. Exactly. Because, I mean, the, the reality of it is money is an enabler. Money enables all the things that we're going to do. But I think so many of us see money as this detached thing. And it's, just, you know, it's, it, it's something that, that we haven't really understood, we even having a relationship with. And I often share with people that your longest relationship that you're going to have with anything in life is going to be your money. Because you're hearing about it when you're a child and you're planning about for it when you're dying. I mean, by writing wills and thinking what's going to happen, you know, with it. So it is a very long relationship. And, and if you could just, number one, understand you have a relationship. So just accept that. And then secondly, if, 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 if you can then find ways to make it your friend, because when it's your friend, it, it, it actually can really enable all your goals and dreams, as opposed to you thinking it's holding you back all the time. And it's a reason that you haven't been a success or the reason that you haven't 
you know, done what you wanted to do with your life. And, and people often blame money. So it becomes a scapegoat for naming, blaming, and shaming why we're not getting what we want in our lives. So would it be safe to say that you help people learn how to give their money leadership and direction? So money's there to serve you if you see it that way and enhance meaning and purpose in their lives. So very much, I mean, beautiful words. I always use it, you know, is money your master or is money your servant? And you do, you, you, you want money to be your, your servant. You know, often people have, with a lot of money, always think, you know, I mean, where does money fit in? And then people have a little bit of money. But so many times the people with a lot of money, if they don't have it in the right place, are totally preoccupied with it. They live in fear because they don't want to spend it. They don't want to do anything with the fear of losing it. Then you meet somebody who doesn't have any money. And then when I speak to them, they're so preoccupied with the fact that they don't have and worries me because I don't have any money and somebody else has got all the money. So, you know, because I work with people all day, every day, about their relationship with money. This is what I get, I get to see. So it doesn't mean that you, you, you know, you're going to get it all right when you've got lots of it. It, it, it very much, it, it's got nothing to do with the amount. It's got to do with, with how you see it. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because I distilled it to a place where you have to have a plan for your money and you have to work the plan. And yet that plan comes off the back of something else entirely in your world, the way you approach money, because you advocate that life planning is an integral part of financial planning, which goes back to what we were saying earlier, that you have a relationship with money. It's not outside of who you are. It's not separate to who you are. Can you talk to that? So Nikki, just to take it back a little bit, I, I mean, I'd studied psychology. Um, I was in a different career path. Um, but I'd had a dysfunctional family around money and I'd seen a lot of heartache caused because of money. So in my mid-30s, I had a number of things like we all do, where life throws a whole lot of changes at you and I had to make some decisions. And I realized that I still really wanted to help people with their money. And I went back to university to do my master's in psychology. And, and while I was doing it, I realized to be a psychologist, nobody was going to come to talk to me about their money. And I had this aha moment, I'm going to be a financial planner. I didn't know anything about how to become one. And I also knew that I didn't like the majority. And I just put it out there of financial planners that I'd seen because they would come and sell me something and then they'd disappear out of my life. And, and, and I saw that there was such an important role for people. And I, I think the financial planning industry is one of the most important industries. But what I was seeing at that time is that they needed to talk about life more. They needed to help their clients connect life and money. And that was when I chose to come into the industry, the financial planning industry. I studied and, and came into the industry. And I brought these insights and learnings that I've done from, from really traveling the world and, and reading so much on it and, and learning about it. How do, how do we connect our clients to understand? And hence why most people who go to get a financial plan will be asked how much money you've got and you know, where do you want to go with it? Whereas I believe it's a lot more than that. And, and that's why for me, every time I see somebody, I first want us to get right the picture of their life. What will your next chapter look like if it turns out well? And then we can talk about how to invest the money. And then in that comes the whole relationship with money. But it is, it, it is a completely different philosophical way of doing financial planning. 
So your, your life planning informs the financial planning. And you've studied with the likes of Brene Brown uh, through Dare to Lead. I mean, how does that tie into money? Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be one that you would naturally put together, but you did talk about money and leadership. I'm very much my journey with Brene. So, you know, I'm sharing with you how I wanted to come into the industry and I wanted to do this work. And when you're coming into an industry that hasn't spoken this kind of language, you really need to be quite brave. And, and I was personally, so everything I do with clients, I, I need to plan my own life. So I was personally going through the journey and I came across Brene Brown many years ago. I'm watching her TED talk. Um, and after I'd done that, I started doing all her courses, reading all of her books. I'm, I'm what you call a Brene Brown guru. Um, I always say I'm a Brene Brown groupie. And with all of that, I, I registered to go to the States and, and do her Dare to Lead course and her Dare to Lead facilitation, you know, as a qualification. And it, and it was always with the idea that I was going to connect it back to my financial planning. I um, see many clients who come and see me that have, first of all, shame around their money. And a lot of Brene's work is around shame and the fact that we all have it. And best, we, we, we deal with it instead of thinking we can pretend we don't have it. And what I loved about her work was show up in the world authentically. Don't show up in the world as an armored up version of yourself and a version that you think the world wants to see. And I remember doing her work. And I remember also you know, talking at conferences about this new work and what, how I thought it was so important to financial planners. And I remember getting this look often from people where does she come from? She's talking so rubbish. This is never the way our industry is going to go. So Brene really helped me on my journey to stay courageous, to stay doing what, what, what I truly believe. Well, what brings you joy. You've, you've actually used that word joy with me on many occasions. The work you do brings you enormous joy. And clearly it brings your clients joy as well. And Joy is not a word that we generally hear when we sit in rooms with brokers and financial advisors. And I, I do spend quite a lot of time with people in this industry. And for me, it's really heartwarming to hear you using words like that, because I can connect to that. I can relate to that. I want my life to feel joyful and I need my financial plan to support that joy. So for me, this is, um, this is great stuff. This is juicy, delicious stuff. It's not, it doesn't sound like scary, dry numbers. Uh, and as you said a little earlier, you know, most financial planning is how much money do you have? How much money do you want to retire on? Okay, let's create a plan. Yours really scratches below the surface of that, your approach. And it really puts you as the client and not your money. So, so, so again, for me, when, when I, I go and see somebody, my money mustn't be the client. I am the client and my life is the client. So I want to, show, that must be the focus of all of our discussions. Mm. And, and, you know, if you don't get the foundation right, and, and you say, you know, where, what brings you joy and what you want to do with your life. Nikki, so many people I meet don't know what brings them joy. They don't know what they want with their life. So, you know, yes, you come in and invest your money, but, but it, again, it, it's, it's taking that little bit of time to really work out what it is you want, why you want it. And in that way, I think your financial planner can add so much more value to you. But you need to take the client through a process. You know, you don't just walk in and know exactly what you want. It's, it's questioning, it's reflecting, it's, it's delving that little bit deeper 
find out what brings you joy. Mm, you raise such an important point that people don't know what brings them joy. And that probably speaks to the fact that success has been so linked to money and position as opposed to that really rich word satisfaction. What brings you joy is often what brings you satisfaction. It's a sense. It's it's a more of a sense than a measurement. And, and they're so linked because if you get the joy and the satisfaction right, often everything else grows. Everything else grows with that. And uh, so, so you're, you're taking people through this process in a different way that honors the human in the, in the human being, honors the person, as opposed to, as you said, seeing the, the money as the client. I thought that was really very enlightening. And maybe just to add there as well, I mean, what do we all do for money? We work. So we all have a job that we do. And with that job, we earn money. And that's how we get our investments. I also encourage people to, to find work that, they, that they, they're passionate about, that they're good at, where they truly add value. And for me, it's around getting out of this mindset of I have to earn a paycheck. Because if we can look at earning this paycheck, and, and really for me, what that is, is I, I make a difference in the world and I get paid to make the difference in the world. I do something that brings me joy and I get paid to do it. Because many times when I'm sitting with somebody, and I mainly work with people near at and in retirement, but when I'm sitting with them and they say to me, you know, I've just had to get to this day because I can't wait to retire. If, 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 and, and they can tell me by the minutes, by the, you know, I mean, month, minute, days, how long they've got till they're going to go and start living their lives. And I think for me, it always hits home. You know, I lost my dad when he was 59. Um, he was killed in a hijacking. And he had, he had always said those words to me. Like one day when I retire, Kim, I'm going to travel. One day I'm going to do this. One day. And that day might never come. So the, these people that are putting their life, you know, living, putting off living your best life today because of this hope of what retirement's going to bring. I see them way too often disappointed because it's the attitude that you've got while you're working that actually also comes through into your retirements about the way you see life. Yeah, so you love to work, particularly in the second half of life. That's what I've picked up with your books and with a lot of your work is that your focus is very much on the 50 plus. Am I right? And why is that of such interest to you? Because there's a part of me that goes, but society says that's almost too late in terms of financial planning. You know, Nikki, I, I probably can't even explain it to you. But if I tell you, in my 20s, I was going to retirement workshops. I remember, I don't know what pulled me or drew me to retirement workshops. And I used to go to them. And most of them were so depressing. They were always about the fact that you weren't going to have enough money. Do you know the statistics and you're not going to have enough money? And it was for me, it felt like real doom and gloom. And even the energy in the room was always this, oh. Like a death was, sentence almost. Exactly. And it, and it was, it was always around, um, you know, money and more money. And nobody talked about the life and what you were going to go and do. So I think, I mean, I, so I can't explain where that was coming in my 20s. So, so that's where I've, I've carried on just researching and learning. And then now working with people in that transition. And I've seen such beautiful stories. And I've seen people really, you know, do amazing things in the second half of life. And, and, and I've watched them. And I think so my fascination has grown. 
I have my latest book is The Midlife. And I think that was really because I was going through midlife. I mean, I was coming 50. Um, things do change. You are looking at life differently. And I, I, I probably wrote the book for myself because it was really like the journey I went through, you know, coming into this midlife. And I didn't want it to be a midlife crisis that everybody always says to me, Kim, isn't it a midlife crisis? And yes, if you don't do the work, potentially it's a midlife crisis, but it can be an incredible time. When you say we don't do the work, you mean we're not doing the work on ourselves? Exactly. You know, I talk, as you know, and we've talked about already, life and money together all the time. But, um, you know, you need to do the work on yourself first. And, and at the same time, I mean, I'm a great advocate on the fact that you, you need to be looking after your money and giving, as you said earlier, giving intention to it. Because if you're not giving intention to it, you're going to spend it in, in places that don't bring you any joy at the end of the day anyway. And, and then you're going to be maybe dependent on somebody else. So, you know, it's all just works so beautifully if you, if you, if you work together with both. So it's a kind of dance and in a, in a sense, you're taking people through life transitions. So if we're talking about the second half of your life, people are not retiring at 50 or 60 anymore. So, you know, we need to have a lot more years on our money because with medical intervention, some of us are going to live for a hell of a long time, closer to 100. And if you think that most pensions in the past were set up to you know, um, pay out until you were about 75, because you should be dead by 75. And yet many people, my parents included us, are going to live for way longer than that. And where does the money come from? Uh, if, we, if we're looking at, uh, say, the, you know, the target market of this podcast is really people kind of between 35 and about 65 tops. Um, they're going to go through that transition around 50 somewhere. It's an, almost like a mental alarm bell that goes off in your head that you're entering that next uh, half of your life. And for me, transitions equal change. And whenever you undergo great change, there's the potential for great growth. And I sense that's probably why you find this age group quite exciting because there's that element of, well, what's next uh, for me? If there's enough curiosity, you can have such an exciting time whether you have a lot of money or whether you have a little money, as long as you can connect that life purpose and the meaning and the, and the life planning to that financial planning. So for me, it's, it's so fascinating that you've chosen this very kind of rich we say rich age group, I don't necessarily mean money-wise, but from a personal development point of view. Wisdom. It's, yeah, it's, it's got the wisdom of experience and maybe not quite so idealistic as, say, a young client who's in their 20s who still hasn't experienced much of life yet. So it's, it's so interesting that you are so um, tuned in to where people find themselves in their lives. For me, really resonates is, is that for so many people, Nikki, they, they've never given themselves permission in this transition. And that is another reason that I love it. They've never given themselves permission. Well, they've stopped giving themselves permission to have fun. They've stopped giving themselves permission to dream. So for me, when I can have meetings with people and we can have that aha moment and I can kind of, and I can't give them permission. They have to give themselves permission, but I can kind of challenge their thinking that it's all right. They don't need to feel guilty. 
you know, they've done their bit, they brought up their children, they've done what they've done for society, and now they can think about themselves and they can think about what they want. And, and for so many of them, it, it, it's so hard um, because for so many years, they've not allowed that to happen. And, and I suppose for me, I, I get an incredible, um, you know, I, I, when I'm in a life planning meeting with a client, it doesn't feel like work at all. I'm completely in my flow. And, and, and it is, it's because when I'm working with them, we're working together for, the, for them to have hope. And, and I think that's such a big one, because if I think about those workshops that I was going to, they, there was no hope for these people. It was like, no wonder people dreaded retirement. I mean, it was this line in the sand where you were going on pension and you were going to be sitting on your stop. I mean, put out to pasture. <laughs> please don't do that to me ever. I want to be working way into my 70s. And you know what? I want to be adding value. You know, however it is that I'm adding value, maybe I won't be making that much, but I'll be adding value. And for me, that's so important. So I, I think I love sharing. So there are two things that I'd like to, to ask you before we wrap up this interview. And the first one is, what are some of the most common traps we fall into regarding our relationship with money? And then I want to go into what is an empowered modern elder? I think the trap around our money is not having the plan. You, you spoke about it in the beginning. Like people dig their head in the sand. And I think if they dig their head in the sand and they don't you know, get a plan, it's going to be better off. But it is the most wonderful, empowering thing to know I've got this much. If I do that with it, I can do this. And all of a sudden, you're back in the driving seat of your life. So if you spend all the time saying, I'm not sure if I've got enough, and you put your life on hold because you think you don't have enough, and then one day you die and there's so much left, or you put your, you, you, you put your head in the sand and you think you do have enough, and then you're one of the people that phoned me up when you're 70 and say, I don't have any money. What can you do for me? Then it kind of is too late. So, so for me, that's the, the biggest one is just not getting that plan. That, that, that's what I encourage everybody, whether you've got a lot, whether you've got a little, have a plan so that you know what you can do. If you've got a lot, you could be giving some away. You could be helping with grandchildren, with your children. There's so much value that you could be getting from your money. Um, you know, I speak to many um, families and, and, and children don't necessarily want to be left money one day. They want to have experiences with their parents. They want to have, you know, all those memories to, all, all together. So, so important is if you've got that plan, then, then that's not going to happen. So for me, that's the biggest one. And then potentially the other one that I'm just seeing way too often at the moment, and I'm sorry, maybe because it's going to be women's, it is Women's Month, I can bring it up, is, is, is in relationships where I meet with the husband and wife and then the wife will say to me, you know, my husband takes care of all of that. My husband does it. Statistics show sometime in our life, whether through divorce or death or not getting married or whatever, we are going to have to look after finances. So get involved. Learn about it. Stop saying that you're not good with money or you're not good with finances. Because I see so many financial plans get destroyed because um, when one day the wife inherits, she doesn't know how to look after it. So I always appeal to the husbands, share the responsibility together. And in that way, you can have a much more wealthy financial plan. So those would be my two areas that are vitally important for me. Just touching on women, uh, and since I lost my husband and became a widow, I have presented to many all-female audiences about what happened to me, and I talk about what happened to my brain, my body, my business, my brand, and my finances. 
And I am appalled at how many women between 45 and 60 come to me afterwards and just are completely aghast because they don't know how to get money out of an ATM. They don't know if there are trusts. They don't know if there's a will. They actually don't know anything. And that is an absolute travesty because it is so disempowering for, for the woman. And as you say, ultimately, most of the time, she's the one who's going to be left behind and have to deal with the fallout. And you see women who are in the situation of wrapping up a life, which is really the most awful experience when you have to wrap up somebody's life and it all boil, boils down to the paper, the policies and the money. And if you have absolutely no clue what you're doing, these things can go on for three, four, five, six, seven years if it's a complicated estate. And here you are completely unprepared in any way, shape or form. And it is unbelievably destructive, devastating. And I think the emotions that come up through that whole process are so negative. Because women in particular, I have found having been a victim in this situation, are almost invisible in the bureaucratic system when you start wrapping up a life. So I would definitely advocate for women to get on board and to gen themselves up and get yourself a financial planner who understands you, understands your life, understands you as a person um, and gets the big picture of where you find yourself. Sure. Big, big conversations. It's a little bit like, uh, what do we say? Um, we don't talk about money. It's like sex and taxes and death. You know, it's, money is in that whole stable, isn't it? It's absolutely taboo. And just to add to that as well, so many women I meet, especially when they're going through a divorce, then they'll come to see me. And the first thing they say to me is, I said, have you had a financial planner? Yes, no, my husband and I had a financial planner, but I hated the financial planner. First time I could get away from that financial plan, I've got away. And I, I just encourage women also to speak up and to say to your, your partner, if you don't like the financial plan, I mean, there's lots out there. Find one that resonates for you both because, because otherwise that is exactly what happens. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the modern elder. This is something that comes up in your Money Makeover book, your new book. Uh, what, is, what is that all about? So really, Nikki, it's not my terminology, but it's, it's something that really resonated with me. Um, on my journey of learning more about um, this midlife transition, I was actually um, encouraged by a friend, Linda, who you also know, Linda Smith, to go to, um, to investigate Chip Conley. And Chip Conley's written this book called The Wisdom, Wisdom at Work. And in, in the book, he brings up this concept of the elder. And I actually got, I was privileged enough to go to Mexico where he has what's called the Elder Academy. And what the Elder Academy is, is for people in our 50s who want to look at their next phase of life and they want to make sure it's their best. And you go there for a full week and, and you go through all, all of the, 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 the reflecting that I'm talking about that you need to do in order for you to, to understand what it is you want this next chapter to look like. And his whole concept, concept of the elder is this person with wisdom. You know, if we look at traditions, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, you know, when you get to retirement, you're kind of getting put out there. Whereas you have all this wisdom inside you, you have all of this knowledge that you could be sharing. So if we can get the attitude right and we can go into the world looking at saying, 
not looking at young people and saying they don't know what they're doing um, and, and we know we knew and we know better but rather work on a collaboration together so he, he also brings in not only the modern elder he brings in this this concept which I absolutely love mentoring so in this age group you become both a mentor and, and, and an intern because and I love it at work. I love working with the younger generations. And, and I'm an intern all the time because they're teaching me about technology. They're teaching me about new ways of thinking. And they're much more open to me, you know, working as a mentor as well because I've got EQ, life experience, and, and this wisdom. And together we, we, we can work so well together. And, and for organizations, and I think this is getting to the point, they wouldn't be so keen to get rid of people if we were doing the mentoring because the mentoring is what can take organizations forward as opposed to taking people out just because they've got older so they've still got so much value to add and then working with younger and older the, the mentoring and that's what a modern a modern elder is it's me so much hope because i think it's so sad when people get to that sort of 65 and they, they're seeing their lives as shutting down in a, in, a, in a closing cycle. And yet for many, there are still so many more years to live for many, many, many people. And it's for me, not so much of a closing cycle, but the opening up of a new stage. And it's to celebrate the ending of one stage and the transitioning and the beginning of a new stage. And the way you talk about money is that there is such a, a couple journey, a rich journey that you can take with your money if you learn how to dance with it. It's not, it's not the end. So I think we've got to change our minds about endings and beginnings. What does an ending and a beginning mean? What does an opening door and a closing door actually mean? As opposed to it's just the end. The second half of your life is certainly not the end. It, 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 it's a new chapter. And, and I think if you can bring in the wisdom that you've learned from the past and you can really, you, you can add so much value and you can contribute so much so that every day starts out as a fresh day and in every day you, you, you're making each day count. And for me, that's the most important part. It's not really thinking about this end. And, you know, it's the same with financial planning. You think, oh, well, I'm going to get a plan for my retirement. What, what do you think? It stops when you retire. We all go through, I mean, between 60 and 70 life transitions. Wow. From buying our first, no, that's, I mean, I've been done quite a lot of research on buying our first cars. Most, and all of these transitions normally involve money. Having our first child, you know, and when we come into the second half of life, do you know how many transitions there still are? And if we haven't got the money in the financial plan and it's invested and it's working for us, we haven't got freedom to choose. So all of a sudden, you, you, you don't get to choose what you're, you talk about beginning and ending. You don't get to talk what the middle looks like because you, you haven't made allocations so that you do have choice. Now, all of a sudden, you're sitting on a hamster wheel and, 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 and actually your, your money, and that's why we, we say that then your money being, is, is now actually your master because it's telling you what you can and can't do with your life so you know we've, we've mentioned it a few times today it's got to be looked at together so kim you have just shared so much wisdom with us today i wish we could have more time with you but you've written two amazing books that our listeners can get hold of where will they find them and what are they called 
So my first book, as you mentioned, that I wrote five years ago is Retirement, and it's got the A in. So if you see it, it's not a spelling mistake. And then my, my, my new book, which has just come out two months ago, is called Midlife Money Makeover. They both are available at exclusive books, and you can also buy them online at, at Loot and Take-A-Lot, also on Kindle. And I have them on my website as well, kimporgeta.com. And the great thing about my book as well is I've designed a journal to go with it because it's not a reading book. So when you buy it on my website, you can also order the journal, which I really encourage you to, because I don't think you should just read this book in one sitting. sitting. Um, the part of this book that, that, that for me is important is that you're doing the reflection work and they're called midlife reflections. So in the journal, it's over 35 reflections that you need to do that get you into this right thinking of, of having money as your friend. So those are the way, ways to get it. And if anybody wants to see me, they can also just contact me through my website, kimporthitter.com. That's fantastic, Kim. You've just done so much really original work. It's been an enlightening conversation. And just to recap what struck me, it's that you talk about money is there to serve us. We need to make it our friend and not see it as completely separate from us. Our money is part of who we are. And we need to open up to having different conversations about money because it's the longest relationship we are ever going to have. And that's really uh, such a fresh take. And when I think about money, it can either be an energy leak, something you worry about all the time, maybe not even consciously, but it's gnawing away at you, or you can use it as an empowerment tool. So you've made money so relatable in a very short period of time of just 40 minutes. You've made money a whole lot more fun and exciting already. And you've helped us and you're encouraging us to scratch below the surface and to go beyond the numbers. And that is so important. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing with me today. So once again, thanks to Kim Porthita. To our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nikkibush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too. <laughs>